You are now listening to Macro Hello and welcome to Macrodose Extra, where we go in-depth with some of the most interesting thinkers from the worlds of economics and ecology. This week, I spoke to Richard Jones. Richard is Professor of Materials Physics and Innovation Policy at the University of Manchester and a Fellow of the Royal Society. He's written an excellent, readable and concise guide to the semiconductor industry and to industrial policy, which you can find in his blog, Soft Machines. I wanted to talk to him about why semiconductors are so critical, how the economics of the industry are changing, and why governments across the world are scrambling to support their industries. I started with the obvious question, what are semiconductors, and why did he describe their production as one of the world's most critical industries? Well, a semiconductor is simply a material that has an electrical conductivity that's somewhere between being an insulator and being, you know, a a metal. And it's a conductivity that you can modulate in various ways. So, you know, the, the, the most important semiconductor in the world is silicon. Silicon is a very common element, you know, it's basically what sand's made of. But uh, uh, it, it, it's produced enormous purity uh, to, to, to underpin this, this, this industry. And then the basic unit that you make out of a semiconductor is essentially a transistor. So a transistor is like a switch. It's a device that's got three terminals. You control the, the flow of current from one end to the other by applying a voltage on the third terminal. So it's a switch. And, you know, it's gone from being something that was invented in the late 40s in Bell Labs, a number of technological advances. The key one was the invention of integrated circuits, where you could put lots of semiconductors onto a single chip, as they're called. Uh, then it was realised you could build a whole computer on a single chip, essentially, the so-called, uh, you know, the microprocessor. And now we've got to the stage where you can put literally billions of transistors onto a single chip. So, you know, the computer I'm talking to you through at the moment, you know, it's a domestic computer, nothing special. And it's got about 16 billion of these transistors just on one circuit. So everything in information and communication technology now depends on transistors that are made out of semiconductors. It's an industry that is completely ubiquitous, virtually no product uh, of any kind of complexity doesn't have semiconductors in them. And then the manufacturing process for making integrated circuits is probably, I think, actually certainly the most sophisticated and difficult manufacturing process in the world. So the strategic importance here is, is simply that these things are ubiquitous. You can't really do very much without them, uh, without a, a silicon chip. No, exactly. So, you know, computers, mobile phones, those are the things that are the obvious things that you use. So any kind of uh, all kind of consumer electronics depends on it. But then increasingly cars, aeroplanes, you know, and obviously if you're talking about strategic things, you know, military items, every missile that we read about in the Ukraine war is powered by a whole bunch of semiconductors that are controlling its its delivery. So it's, uh, it, yeah, the entire modern world essentially depends on these devices. And this is picking up on something that, that you touch on in, in your writings, and, and it's quite striking, is that the, the production of these things used to be almost a, a pinnacle 
of globalization that you would have, you know, for example, Taiwan churning out and still does churn out vast numbers of microprocessors, production spread right across the world, Apple infamously sourcing bits for its iPhones and its Macs from all over the world, including chips designed here, produced somewhere else, a really you know, shining example of what globalization is supposed to do. And yet what you can see happening now is that it looks like lots of governments are suddenly rushing really quite fast. You take the US and the so-called CHIPS Act, rushing quite fast to try and set up their own national versions of semiconductor production. So I'm wondering if you could talk through what's kind of driven this change and and why governments are starting to turn away from globalisation. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating story. I mean, I guess if you went back to the 1980s or so, then the the industry was dominated by the United States of America. There was a move in East Asia. Japan kind of early on saw this as a great opportunity. Japan developed a semiconductor industry, you know, based on consumer electronics rather than the kind of military sources that had driven the US industry. And I do think it's worth stressing, you know, in the United States, originally the semiconductor industry was absolutely driven by the military. So in the, uh, uh, you know, the first computer that depended on integrated circuits were the computers that steered uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. That's where the, you know, that's what the market was. So Japan moved into it seeing opportunities in consumer electronics. And then later, Korea and Taiwan saw this as being a, a, you know, a fantastic opportunity to upgrade their economies. And we're in this extraordinary position. Taiwan actually now dominates the production of the highest value, the most sophisticated chips in the world. But then around, you know, there are these enormously sophisticated uh, factories, so-called fabs, which make them, but then going into that, there is this huge global supply chain. So there's the equipment that's used to make them. And and there again, you know, slightly to people's surprise, you know, a single company in the Netherlands, ASML, ends up being the, 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 the monopoly provider of the most sophisticated patterning equipment. Materials, chemicals go in there, and then design goes in there. So, you know, NVIDIA, has turned into this enormously valuable company. It doesn't make anything. It's a design company. The the, the products it designs, which turn out to be so important for AI, actually are made in Taiwan. I think mostly Taiwan, maybe some in Korea too. So Samsung still has a presence in high-end chips. So we've ended up with this absolutely, as you say, a a totally globalised industry. And then people have suddenly woken up to think, okay, maybe the world isn't as flat as we thought it was. Maybe this leaves us quite exposed. So I think the two things, well, three things that have really changed the world. One is actually the pandemic produced all kinds of weird disruptions in supply chains and people suddenly realised that they couldn't make cars anymore because uh, the chips to provide them weren't, weren't, weren't there. So you saw industries breaking down because supply chains broke down because of, uh, of COVID. Then you have the kind of the fear that uh, uh, the United States and uh, its allies have developed about China. As China becomes more assertive in its foreign policy, they realise if China did invade Taiwan, Taiwan's position in this industry is so central that it would cripple the world economy. And then, you know, we've had a war in Ukraine, which suddenly makes people realise that um, the um, ability to produce um, 
high-end weapons depends, you know, as it always did. The military was always a huge driver of the semiconductor industry. It's a huge driver now. So on the one hand, there's an attempt to squeeze Russia to 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 to, to stop its access to, to semiconductors, to, to, to hamper its war effort on the one hand, and the realisation that, that you, know, you know the weapons that are going into that war really depend on, on, on high-end semiconductors and make people realise, you know, this is not something that people are comfortable about leaving to this very globalised system. I mean, so it's a sort of, it's almost like you're describing a circle here, that you start off with a, a product, a technology that comes out of military uses, you know, intercontinental ballistic missile steering systems, essentially, in America in the 60s, moves into consumer products. And now it's almost the, the, the need for a sort of military um, or national security considerations that are pulling everything back in house. Is that is that roughly the sort of mechanism that we're seeing? Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, I think it's the, the long cycle of the Cold War basically produced the semiconductor industry as we know it, the Cold War came to a, uh, or the original Cold War came to an end. People then got less paranoid, if you like, about uh, um, uh, about things being globalised. And now we're moving into a kind of second Cold War, you know, a new state of paranoia about both China and Russia. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is, uh, there's a certain circularity to it, for sure. I mean, this feels also like there's some consequences for the, the sort of pure economics of this, which is, Look, for, for 30, 40 years or so, we, we've all been able to sit here with silicon chips and electronics in general just getting better and better at really quite an impressive pace. And so we can sit here with, as you say, a, a domestic computer that's phenomenally powerful. Uh, it can do an incredible range of things based on progress in producing silicon chips. Now, that progress fell out of this globalised industry. Once you start saying, OK, maybe no more globalisation, aren't the consequences that we're just not going to have as good computers in future? Let's put it as crudely as that. Yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, I think there's some interesting issues there, and, I, and there's another technical issue actually, which is that the, the progress in, in in the technical progress in computing power has stalled, and I think I'm you know forever puzzled that people haven't noticed this, and you, you know we got used to a period in you know particularly in the uh, in, in the 80s and the 90s, you know computer power was doubling every 18 months, and people talk about Moore's law. Uh, Moore's law was part of it. There's another important thing called Denard scaling, which is slightly more technical, which was just that as as transistors get smaller, they work faster. So you've got kind of got a double benefit. Moore's law tells you, or, or Moore's law was a kind of regularity that said the number of chips that you got onto a single square of, of silicon increased exponentially. That got you two benefits. You got more transistors per chip, so you had a more powerful computer, but the computer went faster as well because all the chips were smaller and so they operated faster. And so that actually ended in 2004 quite abruptly. And it's one of the strange mysteries that I, I very rarely meet an economist who knows about this. I think technical people know about it, but, but, but economists don't seem to have registered it. And so what, what you saw was, first of all, a kind of plateauing of, uh, of, of the rate of increase of computer power uh, uh, th- throughout the, um, the, the late 2000s and the 2010s. Uh, so um, you, you've got a kind of concatenation of things happening. It, it's much globalization allowed you to, you know, allowed you to take a lot of cost out of this process. Now, 
the, the, there are technical limits on the process. So the, 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 the capital cost of making these fabs is now in the tens of billions of dollars itself. So that's getting very large. And then there's the kind of a, a, a technical issue that means, you know, maybe it's, it's not going to be easy to push the growth of computer power much more. I think this is a kind of a really interesting thing that's happened over the last 20 years. I, I, I think, you know, in discussions of why productivity growth has stalled, this is something that people don't factor in very much. And I'm always slightly puzzled about that. Microdose is brought to you by our supporters at patreon.com. For the full episode, head over to patreon.com slash microdose and subscribe today.